Welcome to Tax Strategy Digest, where we explore the fascinating world of finance. Join us as we dive deep into the stories, insights, and experiences of experts, thought leaders, and everyday people who are making a difference in this field. Through engaging conversations and thought-provoking discussions, we'll take a deep dive into the latest research, trends, and innovations shaping finance. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn something new on this exciting journey with us. With that said, today our guest is Mondo Salavanti. He is a financial planner and Mondo, it's great to have you here. I'm excited for, uh, for this conversation. Do you want to go ahead and maybe introduce yourself, talk a little bit about your journey and uh, how you got to where you are today? Yeah, Paul. So uh, I'm a financial planner. Um, I run my own practice, help my clients pretty much go from point A to point B. What's current reality? What's desired reality? I help them bridge the gap. Really that simple. I, I really never expected to do this full time. It was always like, and when I say always from college, it was a thought in the back of my mind, really of like, okay, that, that's a cool career I could go into. And I was working towards it. But really my dream, as far as I can remember back was to play football professionally. And, I, you know, I wasn't NFL talent. I wasn't even CFL talent. But with the XFL coming around, there's some leagues in Europe. I had friends that they played out there. That's what I was planning to do after college. And my last year, I had a shoulder injury. The next season would have been my senior year. It was COVID. Our season got canceled. And from there, man, it was just I had to make a decision, either go back and do that or I could do something that could totally change the trajectory in my life to go into financial planning. And, and that's what I did. So started in 2020 here today and business is better than ever. I love it. And some of your background, I know in, in some uh, previous conversations we've had, you were doing some stuff, flipping shoes and, and you were working, uh, you know, kind of in, in a, like a sales sort of position, obviously now you're not really selling as much. You're just helping your clients and planning um, and helping them get towards their goals, moving towards their future. How did that kind of have an impact on you? Just, you know, working in that sort of reselling market and just networking with people. When I was in college, being a sneaker reseller, honestly, it, it was literally like getting an MBA, but probably better, honestly. It's my it's my last year. The season got canceled. The season wasn't canceled when I started reselling sneakers, actually. So I actually won't say that yet. But my best friend, Jarrett Horn, he was reselling sneakers and we lived together in college, same apartment every single year. And I'm like, dude, like, are you really making money doing this? Like, like, tell me about that. And he's like, yeah, like, it's awesome. I'm, I'm making good cash. Like, it's good. So I start doing it. And Jared's fully supportive. Shout out to Jared. Again, best friend, literally. And six months go by, I'm doing this to finish college. I did like, I profited like 15k over five, six months. And as a college kid, that's a ton of money, it feels like it. Mm -hmm. But for perspective, I did probably 400 to 500 transactions. So my revenue was about 120 grand. The profit margins aren't crazy on sneakers. It's about 10, 15% typically, but the amount of transactions and negotiation and, and just understanding how do you, how do you have good customer service? How do you negotiate? How do you deal with people? How do you deal with a bad customer? How do you deal with a bad client? These are all things that I got to see. And also how do you run a business? But the most important, and I haven't really talked about this before, was social media marketing. I grew that sneaker business through Instagram. 
I sold to a lot of local people in my area, but most of my sales were all around the country, all around the world even. I mean, I was shipping to other countries selling sneakers because it is a global business and it was through Instagram. So I scaled an Instagram account to almost 10,000 followers in five, six months just by selling shoes. And now with my financial planning practice, I'm sort of putting two and two together to say like, oh, I could build this online and get clients this way. And it's exactly what I'm doing. So my sneaker reselling days was a time that I could afford to fail with low, low consequences, really. And now it's it's just translating to everything I'm doing. I love it. And look, you're you're a little bit younger, just like me. Um, how have you kind of combated that? I know it's it might actually be working to your your benefit, right? You're, you're tech savvy. You're able to create these these platforms you're using LinkedIn very well. What are some of the things that you're doing to maybe one combat that, that feeling of sometimes when someone wants a financial planner, they want them to have some gray hair, right? They yeah. they want an older person and they're looking for that experience. Um, what are some of the things you're doing that are just, you know, making you the person that they can trust? And, and I see it, you know, easily through LinkedIn. So if you have some tips for people who are watching, who are maybe younger, they're inspired by you to go and, and just get started in the industry, what would you tell them? Paul, there's a really easy answer for that for me. And it took me a little bit to really feel this at a deep level. But with anything, whether it's a financial planner, a doctor, a lawyer, I don't care what industry you're in. You could have someone with 20 years experience, but that doesn't mean that they're better than the guy with three years of experience. Because a lot of times what I've seen, at least the person with 20 years of experience just lived the same year 20 times. So they have one year of experience, but the person with three years of experience could be more open-minded, could be more ambitious, wants to learn and doesn't know what they don't know to their benefit. They have three years that could be 20 years worth of experience. So for me, I'm someone that I'm always looking to learn. I'm always looking to grow. I'm always looking what else is out there that I have no idea is, is even out there. And that's why I feel that it's a strength of where I'm at. But on the same hand, do you want, for a doctor analogy, do you want the doctor that he's old, he's stuck in his ways, he's doing the same thing and he's not open to any new treatments? Or do you want the guy that's new, he's ambitious, willing to learn and might have things out there that are newer, they might be a little risky, but if it works out, he's going to end up doing much better for you. And that's the way that I think about myself as a young guy in an old man's game. Because with financial planning, man, I mean, most guys are 55, 60 years old. For the most part, it's an old man's in industry. But like you said, I feel it, pl it plays to my advantage. And the, the last point I'll make here is there's two people you never want to be older than you when you work with them, your doctor and your financial planner. It's that simple. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Right. Cause I mean, what happens if, if they pass away? Yep. Exactly. Then you got to find someone else. Exactly. Um, okay. So you were just talking about some innovation, right? Um, what are some of the things that you've done to be a little bit more innovative with your clients? Obviously um, your title on LinkedIn is Gen Z's financial planner, right? So um, I know that's a lot of your clients. Uh, how are you innovating with maybe new tactics, new strategies that some of the older or, or just set in their ways um, planners are, are not doing? One thing that I do with financial planning that I think isn't prioritized as much by traditional 
financial planners in the industry is the value of liquidity. Um, I, I think the advice of maxing out your 401k or putting money into permanent life insurance policies forever, I, I think, and I'm just using those two as examples, both of them could be good for the right scenario. But just as an example, I think that tax benefits from certain things make sense when they make sense. But sometimes you need to factor in Am I am I gonna need am I gonna need this money? Am I gonna need access to this? Is this something two years from now I might need access to? My personal scenario is is an exact example of this. I started my industry, I'm living in my parents' house still. I'm 22 years old, I'm making good money, so I'm saving a lot of it and I'm investing it. If I went and I was maxing out my 401k, well, that money's there. Sure, I could go loan against it, but all right, that's I don't want to worry about paperwork and handling a loan and whatever else. I was investing my money in a taxable brokerage account. Fast forward to this past year, me and my fiance just buy a house. It's a three-unit house. We have a separate garage. We're going to be able to rent that, rent out the other two units, live in the main one. I used money from that taxable brokerage account. Whereas if I was putting that away in, in tax-deferred vehicles that was locking it up all this time, I would never be able to buy this property. So I use my own story as an example, but I think when you talk about innovative ways and i wouldn't even call it innovative it's more of just a, a style twist so to speak i really value liquidity and flexibility when i'm planning for myself and my clients okay perfect and and as for maybe retirement obviously i know you said you work a lot with gen z um but when should they start planning for retirement i mean should that be now should it be in 10 years should it be in 20 years uh i feel like the the easy cop-out answer might just be start now start today but do you want to maybe elaborate on what you're working with your clients on? It's cliche, but the best time to save for retirement was yesterday. And the next best time is today. And it's just the truth. And whether it's retirement, whether it's saving for a beach home, whatever it is, the sooner you start, the more the odds are in your favor. Because if you look at the stock market or, or if real estate's your jam and you want to be a real estate investor and you look at that market, over a longer term time horizon, your, your likelihood of success is so much higher. So the earlier you start, the better you're putting the odds in your favor. For that reason, I say start as soon as possible. And the reason that I focus so much on Gen Z, and when I say Gen Z, like most of my clients really are 25 to 35 years old in that bracket. So it does leak into millennials a little bit. But anyways, um, I, I was working with primarily 45, 50, 55 year olds my first year in business because they were a lot of my parents' friends. So I would get referred to that market. Yeah. And what I saw with people was they're 45, 50, they've done nothing to date. And I, and I have to be the bearer of bad news to say, look, I can help you, but we're not going to be where you want to be unless you work longer, make more money or save more. So I backtracked and I said, hmm. What if I could get to these people 20 years before this, in their 20s, in their 30s, and now I'm able to tell these stories and say, look, you're not going to have to to bend over backwards putting money away. You can put a modest 10, 15, 20% of your income away per year just towards investment, saving for retirement, whatever you call it, and you'll be in a pretty good spot when you look out down the road. I agree, and I, I think that's important. I, I try and look, I'm not a financial advisor, but um, I, I've always been someone who likes investing and things like that. I was a finance major through college and I'm kind of the friend that my whole friend group just says, Hey, what should I invest in? Um, yeah. and so they're like, Hey, should I start investing? I just got my first job, whatever it might be, you know, 
they they stopped working as a, a waiter or waitress and now they're you know I have a corporate type job and they asked me hey what do I do and so I, I've just kind of thrown out some ideas I'm like this is what I'm doing if you want to follow suit go for it but they always ask when's the best time and so I tell them the same thing I said yesterday I'm like well the stock market went down yesterday I'm like well you know it's it's a cliche yeah. right um, yeah. but uh anyways so next question for you I I've been actually wondering this um quite a bit I how has the the industry evolved recently and I know there's kind of been some turmoil in the market so what is your take really on that and how do you see that playing out in the future my thing is this I don't have a crystal ball and I could give you my opinion on where I think the economy is headed and what I think it's doing but overall what I do with my finances and what I do for my clients we're preparing for any market conditions and also any tax conditions because taxes always change. The markets always change. You want to be ready for whatever can happen. The other thing that we see in the news all the time is inflation. How do we hedge against inflation? What's going on there? My thing is this, you hedge inflation over the long term and you do it with investments or assets like stocks, like real estate, like a business that you own. You hedge a negative market in the short term by having savings or uncorrelated assets, whether that's CDs or savings or a type of permanent life insurance you could have, like whole life insurance is a fixed product. But besides the point, you want to have different funds in different places that you have access to money when you need it. Because if it's unideal market conditions, you don't want to pull money from those accounts because you're severely hurting yourself. Yeah. And do you, I, I'm actually not sure if you, if this is something you specialize in really, but um, do you work at all with some, you know, tax strategies where you can help? I, I'm not talking about a deferred sales trust, not talking about what we do, but just for, for your own sake, um, what are some of the ways you help your clients maybe plan for their taxes for the future so that when they get to retirement, they're not getting swamped by that? Um, do, do you yep. guys do anything? We talk about asset location and asset allocation. Asset allocation is the typical, get your large cap stocks, get your mid cap, get your small cap, et cetera. Asset location is, do I have tax deferred vehicles? Do I have taxable vehicles? Do I have tax-free today vehicles? Do I have tax-free later vehicles? So those are the four types of assets you can have. It can never be any different at a high level. So when I'm positioning clients planning out 20, 30, 40 years, whatever it is, we're looking at, let's get vehicles that we're going to be taxed on today, but they'll be tax-free later. Let's get vehicles that will be taxed on today, but we only pay tax on the gains. Let's get vehicles where we won't pay tax today, but we'll pay tax later. And for high earners, the tax-free today, which municipal bonds are the only things that really fall into there. For high earners, municipal bonds could make sense to have in place for a piece of the pie. But in general, I want my clients to have exposure to all of those. Because like I said, I don't have a crystal ball for taxes. I don't have a crystal ball for the stock market. So let's have assets that are uncorrelated to the stock market. Let's have assets that are correlated to the stock market. And let's have assets for high taxes and low tax conditions. Cool. And do you want to maybe just real brief, it doesn't have to be a long explanation, but I think a lot of people would benefit from it. Um, talking about a traditional IRA versus a Roth and how, you know, I, th I think the famous saying is tax the seed, not the harvest. Do you want yeah. to jump into that real quick? Yeah. So traditional, you put money into, it gets tax deferred. So you get a tax deduction today. 
you can't take the money out until 59 and a half, excluding some caveats, but I won't go into those. At 59 and a half or older, you're taxed on that money. On the other side, Roth, it's the complete opposite. You're taxed today. It goes into that vehicle. You actually could access your contributions along the way, but any earnings you can't touch until 59 and a half or older. But at 59 and a half or older, everything comes out tax-free. So that's how those two vehicles work. Nice. Do you recommend one or the other for high income earners or low income earners? It's it's really simple. If you think you're going to be in a higher tax bracket later, you'll want a vehicle that's going to be tax-free later. If you think you're going to be in a lower tax bracket later, you'll want a vehicle that's going to be taxable later because you're paying higher taxes today. Okay, perfect. Um, look, that makes sense to me. I love it. I, I love the tax deferring, so I'm a big fan. Um, Mondo, as we wrap up here, what what's your why? For me, man, it's it's a little a little morbid, not really, but my thing is like I'm not trying to be the person that's doing the same exact thing as everybody else. You know what I mean? And and it's really that simple, but at its core, that's what I would say. Okay, just trying to live a different life and you know make it a life of your own. Yeah. I, I mean, like I could go on and on for days, but at its core. That's really what the question is, or the question. That's really what my answer to that will be. It's like, I mean, there's what, 8 billion people on earth. And to me, I think a lot of people live the same exact life and not the same exact life, literally, but I go to work, I come home, I work for so long, I have kids, we go to kids games, we do whatever. Like some people want that and that's great. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm engaged. I'm going to get married. I want to have kids in the future. Like I want a family but I want to do something that's out of the norm. I just have this severe anxiety of being normal that I just don't want. I gotcha. I feel the same way. Uh, try to, that's why for me personally, I just try and help as many people as possible. Yeah. And I know with you, the first time we ever spoke, you told me that that was your goal as well. You just wanted to help people. So yeah. I knew we would get along and it was super cool because you you just seem so genuine. You were like, Hey, I want to help people. And, and along the way, yeah, I'll make money, but I do that by helping others. And that's how I want to go out. So I thought that was super cool. Um, and we'll go ahead. We'll wrap up here. I'm going to leave your, uh, your LinkedIn profile. I'll leave a, um, uh, your email down below, but, um, what's the best way for someone who's listening? If they want to get in touch with you, contact you, uh, talk about services, ask you some questions. How would they do that? Contact me on LinkedIn, reach out on Facebook. You can email me, whatever it is. Perfect. Okay. Awesome. And well, hey, I appreciate your time. Thanks so much for hopping on. Absolutely, brother. Thanks for having me.